0: Let's get started.
1: Hey there, welcome to the Dr. Marketing Tips Podcast. I am Jennifer. And I'm Corey. And we are here today to um, share some of our takeaways from the 36th Annual Association of Otolaryngology Office Administrators Conference that we attended this past week in New Orleans, where I had the opportunity to speak to the group on um, a myriad of topics, including social customer service, which is really the marriage between social media and customer service. And then um, we had uh, several members of our team that were there, and Corey and I both took the time to use it as an educational opportunity to brush up on our skills and um, really get to know some of the office administrators that we work with on a regular basis. And so we thought we'd bring you some of our key talking points, um, kind of our takeaways related to the conference, and you maybe you can take this and implement it back in your medical practice. So, Corey, let's go ahead and get started. Well, what's the first takeaway that you have from this past week's conference?
2: Yeah, one of my takeaways was uh, I actually, I sat in a session and we discussed what happens when you're ready to kind of expand your practice and bring in a new physician. So what are some of the challenges and the opportunities there? And um, there was actually, excuse me, there was a slide that I thought was really interesting. And it was talking about the difference between seasoned physicians and new physicians. So uh, the way that the presenter had broken it down was he was saying seasoned physicians were a little bit older. Typically, they're 55 plus. They're kind of part of that baby boomer generation. And the new physicians, those are sort of like the the Gen X type physicians. And I just wanted to run through a a couple of quick points that he went through. Um, So the seasoned physicians, they kind of believe that career advancement takes time. And newer physicians sort of seek advancement and promotion opportunities more quickly. They're a little bit more hungry. Um, Seasoned physicians are also accustomed to higher incomes over time, whereas new physicians sort of, um, they want a higher starting salary. And they expect the patients to actually do a little bit more education on their own first before they come see them. So they the newer guys kind of think that the uh, patients are going to be a little bit more versed on what's actually wrong with them, which I thought was a really interesting point. And uh, the final thing that he, he mentioned I thought was really interesting was how different patients sort of connect with different... Um, with, with different patients. So if you're a, a seasoned physician, you probably connect with a little bit older patient. And sometimes some of the younger patients um, connect a little bit with some of the younger guys. I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think that, um, it, it, I think what you're talking about makes perfect sense that, you know, it's just a matter of some of the younger guys, like, you know, one, they're more up on the latest technology, but, you know, they might like to get out there and get their hands dirty a little bit more because they're used to being responsive and working within the phone or working within that particular technology where the older guys, um, you know, the older doctors are, you know, I don't want to say stuck in their ways, but they just grew up on a different platform. And I think that from a marketing perspective, when we're doing our, you know, strategic documents for next year, it, it might be worthwhile to do um, kind of the persona testing where you are looking at your your patient personas and then also taking uh, the opportunity to look at your physician personas because there might be the opportunity to engage your physicians if you take the time to do the personas. You know, like for example, Dr. Jones is 42 years old. He grew up on a smartphone, was probably an early adapter of the first um, iPhone you know he went to school at a time where they didn't use the blue books but instead they took their tests online and Dr. Jones receives his information in snippets and he is constantly on the going and he's able to juggle many tasks at, at once what type of marketing can we do for Dr. Jones versus you know dr bob over here who you know is 60 years old took his test in college on in a blue book is used to writing things out in long form and maybe is more meticulous and likes to check things off the list slowly where he gives more time to the patients which patients should we should we sync up with dr bob over here and so i think there's something to be said about doing that as part of your strategic document i also take it cory um and I would be curious on your thoughts for this one, but I also think that there it's interesting that more of these younger physicians are opting to be employed physicians, where, um, whereas some of the older physicians are opting to try to stay independent. And I think that's part of that um, generational mindset as we move forward and as practices start
2: to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that really affects kind of the recruiting pool. That's something that we heard a lot from some of the folks that we were talking to at the conference. Um, some of them are having a hard time actually getting residents uh, to come join the practice because, like you said, they wind up being employed. So I think that's a really good point. And one more thing I wanted to mention there was um, if you have a little bit older of a physician or if you have several older physicians or several younger physicians, it really does impact the culture of the practice, so that's something to consider when you're hiring as well, because like you said, a lot of the older guys, they're going to want to do things a certain way, and that's going to have sort of a trickle-down effect, and it's going to affect everything in the practice, even some, you know, sometimes how you market or when you can market, what the budget is, because a lot of the older guys don't believe in marketing. Some of the younger guys are going to be very gung-ho, and they're going to want to market and expect you to have a plan. Um, And even things, you know, small like celebrating birthdays. Some of the younger guys have probably jumped into some pictures and they're all about it. Some of the older guys, maybe not so much. It just sort of depends.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's, you know, it's probably a... Total separate podcast episode. But the fact is, is like some of the older guys may be averse to the idea of marketing because back in the day, they were not allowed to market themselves. You know, back in the day, it was frowned upon or it was even a policy that you couldn't market yourself. Whereas the new guys, I mean, they're they're getting it um, drilled in them during med school and during postgraduate schools, you know, that they have to go out there and market because we are going from where the patient didn't have choices to now where the consumer is in complete control.
2: Absolutely. That's a great point.
1: So those are those are great takeaways. So my first takeaway um, from the conference, which was kind of a bigger picture for me, but basically it muddled down to we've got to be preparing for more and more patient engagement and price transparency. And for me, I attended a session that talked about the economics of healthcare, care. And um, in one area in particular, we were talking about disruptors. And, um, specifically about what Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett are doing with their companies is potentially going to change the way that healthcare is. And, um, you know, they haven't really announced exactly what the disruption of healthcare is going to be, but the speculation is that basically they're going to go out there and they are going to partner with all of the insurance companies and the practices within the networks. And they're going to get complete price transparency. And so then as a company, um, the, the speculation is that as a company, you will offer your employees a level of healthcare that pays up to a certain amount for a knee replacement. And they use, you know, the idea being that it would be like the Amazon model and all of the prices because they've gotten this through, through the insurance carriers and not necessarily to your practice on what the reimbursement rates are going to be that all of these prices will then become available online. And just like when you're shopping on Amazon, you can decide if you want the knee replacement from one vendor or another because you already know what your company is willing to pay you on a reimbursement standpoint. And so this idea being that if we become, um, if we commoditize Is healthcare to this level that we have to be prepared for even more patient engagement and price transparency in that you'll no longer be able to compete, um, just because you have great doctors because, you know, at the end of the day, when as, as a healthcare consumer, you're sitting in your living room trying to decide where you're going to go get, um, get your knee replacement, you know, you may like Dr. Jones. But at the end of the day, if Dr. Jones and Dr. Bob have the exact same credentials, um, maybe you haven't met Dr. Bob and interacted with him at the same level, but he's, you know, 50% of the price. If you're only going to get reimbursed on 30% of the price anyway, then chances are you're going to start price shopping. And so it really does change, potentially change the way that healthcare is delivered and it changes the model from a marketing standpoint. I think um, another piece of that, you know, part of that same equation, for patient engagement and price transparency for me is I was in a discussion about over-the-counter hearing aids um, and just talking about how audiology has changed over the years. And it was interesting because the company that was presenting was ta- uh, referencing a survey that had been done for consumers, um, to consumers, um, asking them, you know, where will you go to get your next hearing aid? And, you know, this audience in particular was saying, you know, the place that I'm going to go, you know, we were thinking that they would say you know, Costco or Sam's Club or Walmart or somewhere like that. Because now, you know, more and more you have traditional retailers that are dipping their toes in the OTC hearing aid um, arena. But that wasn't the case at all. The number one place people will go to choose their next hearing aid is Google. The first place they go from a um, a decision, a healthcare decision making standpoint is they go online and they search just goes back to, you know, the whole idea of having to engage and engage with your potential patients, having to be front and center um, and being more transparent overall. At the end of the day, you, you may not be able to compete on price. So from a marketing standpoint, when if these are, if this is the landscape that we're going into, what is it that you can do from a positioning piece to position yourself a better or worse than the competition. Because if, if you're competing on price, you, you may pretty much want to say it. Look, you're always going to lose on that one. So what is it you're going to be competing on? You're going to be competing on that, on that patient engagement piece, on that customer service piece, on that patient experience piece. That is what you're going to start having to, to compete on. That is one theme that I heard over and over and over is be prepared for more patient engagement. And as part of that, um, it's going to be partly driven through this whole uptick in price transparency.
2: Well, and I think that and we talk about this all the time. We use this example, but like you said, like all if all things are equal, you're going to go to wherever you know you have a preference, or you like their website more, or and we we always kind of take it back to the Yelp example of picking somewhere to like go get a burrito. If the prices are the same, you're going to go to the one that's rated better because they, you know, social proof, it looks like it's going to be a better decision, you're going to have a better experience, that's the one that you're going to trust. And you're saying the same thing here, if you can't compete on price, then you've got to compete somewhere else. And it just makes sense that you would do that from a review standpoint. And I think transparency is is scary, but ultimately good for the end consumer.
1: No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that, you know, Price transparency is just going to force everybody to be more transparent, and that is a positive thing. But you're absolutely correct that word of mouth and patient engagement and overall consumer experience is what is going to be the game changer moving forward. And so I think that this is particularly troubling to those practices who are not comfortable in the consumer marketing area.
2: Yeah, exactly. And we saw a lot of that at the conference, you know, there was practices of all sorts of different shapes and sizes and some of the single provider practices in more of like a rural area, they are not obviously well versed as somewhere where there's, you know, let's say 12 docs in a metropolitan area. And I I think that um, talking to them, it provides not only good perspective for us, but good perspective for them, too, because then they can see. Um, what some of the other practices are doing and what they need to be prepared for. And that kind of leads me into my second takeaway was we were sitting in sort of a roundtable discussion about ENT practices, getting ready to really focus in and start on cosmetics or really try and grow their facial plastics program. And the big takeaway that I had from that was if you're going to start doing a new ancillary service, you have to go all in with it to be successful. We heard from a a bunch of people in that room and then um, at the booth afterward that said that to be successful, what you really have to do is spend the dollars on the marketing and the advertising, especially from an aesthetic standpoint, because you're going up against classic surgeons and people that already have this sort of big reputation. And the patient may say, well, why would I go to an ear, nose and throat doctor to get my Botox or whatever? So Um, Some of the practice managers that we spoke with, they said that uh, doing the office renovations, doing the radio ads, doing the TV, doing the social media, all of that has really helped their bottom line. And they don't know if they'd be able to sustain the business without really marketing it.
1: No, absolutely. And I think um, for me, as I was in that same session as you were, one of the biggest takeaways that I had is how important the physical space is. So, we have, um, we have a client who has a spa within his practice, and I've often thought to myself, like, would I come here if I didn't know this physician? Because I think the spa, you know, it's very nice. And at one point it was probably considered luxurious, you know, the most cutting edge or leading edge from a decor standpoint. But to me, it's felt very dated. And if you're trying to get top dollar from a spa it's leading into your aesthetics practice or leading into even your facial plastics or just plastics practice, um, I think the dollars spent as soon as the um, the potential patient walks through the front door, our dollars well spent and going ahead and upgrading those physical spaces was one key takeaway I took from that session. And um, really the second was, is that, you know, from a, from a retail standpoint, when you're in retail marketing, you talk a lot about like loss leaders, you know, things that you're willing to um, lose money on or give away for free or something to that effect. And I thought um, those, those discussions were interesting in that, um, you know, those practices were talking about their potential loss leaders, meaning like, you know, we're going to spend a lot of dollars to bring somebody in here for a professional MD supervised um, facial, knowing that that facial that facial customer down the road could turn into a facelift customer. And then that facelift customer could turn into an ongoing customer for um for true you know professional level skincare products because you don't want to jeopardize the facelift and so i think sometimes with the practices that we're working with that you know there's that thought that goes into well we're going to start a spa but you have to go back to the why you want to start a spa and the reason you want to start the spa the why is because you need to create a stream of potential patients to feed the mothership to feed the actual services that are paying the bills, which are the facelifts and the rhinoplasties and things of that nature. So I thought that was a really good discussion, but what really drove home to me was this this concept of you have to invest, not just in the dollars from a marketing standpoint, but from the things that um, as soon as you open the front door, you know, If you've got an old office, it's time to make that investment if you're going after that consumer market, which is back to what we were just talking about, is that more and more we're going to have to go after those consumers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can't just sort of put a case in the waiting room and then call it good, which I I know that you've seen it and I've seen it too. Um, You need to let people know you're there, that you provide great outcomes. Testimonials are huge, obviously. And then you have top notch all around facilities. All of that has to come together. Um, to really make the patient not only feel comfortable and confident but want to come back and I think that's the key there
1: yeah it's like AdSense but you know it's offline
2: yeah exactly
1: so which kind of get, leads me into my, my second takeaway and that is that running a practice it's now a team sport it's no longer you know what you do online or to get people in the practice is not tied to what happens when you get to the practice it's all one and the same now um you know it's all about consumer engagement and you know marketing has to play in the sandbox with customer service who has to play in the sandbox with your front desk people who has to play in the sandbox with your call center people it's all connected you can't run a marketing promotion To get people into the front door without working with the folks that are going to be taking those calls and scheduling those appointments and without, you know, making sure that everybody on the team is educated from a standpoint of every single thing they do. I think that the stat that you showed me the other day was like, you know, 75% of the time a patient spends in the office is actually with your, with your team and not with your physician. So, you know, it's a team sport in that. Those frontline employees are playing a huge part from a marketing standpoint now, as it relates to reputations and reviews. So my biggest takeaway is it's not just one department; it's it's an entire team, and everybody's got their hands a little bit in everything.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's actually um, that was my third takeaway. So everyone is a marketer. And the stat you referenced, I'm going to just provide a little more context to so that because it's my new favorite stat.
1: Um, <laughs> it's, it was a
2: study published by the American Journal of Managed Care in 2015 and it said the average clinic visit is 84 minutes. Of those, 20 minutes are spent with the physician and the other 64 are with staff. So that's about 75% of time is spent with staff outside of the main clinician. So in other words, if you have a bad or disengaged staff, your patients most likely are gonna remember your office more for that and not for the level of care that you actually provided. And I'll say that we see that literally every single day as we're looking at online reviews that we monitor and things like that for some of our clients where they'll say the doctor is great. The front desk person is one of the rudest women that I've ever seen. And so then they went online, left a one-star review, which hurts the practice's overall reputation because, you know, Janice up front was having a bad day. And And they'll say right up front that the care was incredible doctor was great i feel better but let's talk about how bad janice was and i think that the more that gets drilled home and it's used as an education and and an incentive um, for employees it your practice is going to be so much better because of that and i think that we started to see a big shift towards that and this conference sort of i think it really reinforced that these things start to matter more and more every single day
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think it rolls us right into what I think is both of our um, final takeaway. And that's that employee engagement because of all Fish. these things, employee engagement matters more than ever because you can't, you can't have a successful team. And we just said that, you know, running the practice is a team sport. You can't have a successful team unless you practice together and unless you understand each other and you can anticipate, you know, what's important to one another and, you know, everything, especially as we become more consumer focused and consumer driven and having to throw out there in the price transparency, the way we engage employees and the employees, how they feel and act and the smile on their face matters more than it ever has. And it matters when patients are on the way in, it matters when patients are there and it matters after the patients leave the practice itself. And so I think to me, that was a giant takeaway is that employee engagements and what we're doing to build our teams internally is the game changer for practices
2: moving forward absolutely i couldn't agree with that more well there you go
1: those were my big takeaways you got anything else to add
2: um be sure when you're hiring you know what age you're hiring and that was that was the only other thing i could think of to wrap it all up is to say that um, employee engagement matters, and then you also have to consider what type of people that you're hiring, what their backgrounds are, um, how diverse they are, because all of that sort of gets stirred together, and that's your office culture. And as practice manager, you might have some HR people. You may not, but all of that sort of comes together to create your culture, and that's how employees stay engaged, and that's how patients stay happy.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, um, my biggest, you know, leave behind here is that we are recording this on, um, September 18th after spending a week in New Orleans interacting with these practice administrators for the entire week. And as everybody goes back to their office and, you know, those folks that are listening start thinking about what you're going to be doing in 2019. Um, now is the time right now to start putting together those strategic plans and taking possibly some of what Corey and I were just talking about and implementing that into your written game plan for hitting the ground running come 2019. And so with that, I'm Jennifer. I'm Corey. And we'll see you next time on the Dr. Marketing Tips podcast.
2: Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks.